The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and I'm a journalist. Join me on my new podcast, But We Loved, where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through. In the middle of Wall Street, they stopped traffic. They were doing a die-in. And in the process, share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Lori Gottlieb. I'm the author of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, and I write the Dear Therapist Advice column for The Atlantic. And I'm Guy Winch. I'm the author of Emotional First Aid, and I write the Dear Guy Advice column for TED. And this is Dear Therapists. Each week, we invite you into a real session where we help people confront their biggest problems and then give them actionable advice and hear about the changes they've made in their lives. So sit back and welcome to today's session. This week, a couple struggles with a toxic ex-spouse who's not happy about their upcoming marriage. My ex-wife is not happy about the fact that I am engaged to anyone, and she's not happy that I'm engaged in particular to Lily. First, a quick note. Dear Therapist is for informational purposes only. It does not constitute medical or psychological advice and is not a substitute for professional healthcare advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, mental health professional, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical or psychological condition. By submitting a letter, you are agreeing to let iHeartMedia use it in part or in full, and we may edit it for length and clarity. In the sessions you'll hear, all names have been changed for the privacy of our guests. Hi, Lori. Hi, Guy. So what do we have in our mailbox for this week? Well, today we have a couple, and they're dealing with some interference from one of the exes, and it goes like this. Dear therapist, six years ago, after 17 years of marriage, I made the very hard decision to pursue divorce. I have a very challenging co-parent, three active teenage sons, and I run my own small business. After our divorce, I prioritized my sons and my dating life consisted of short relationships. I always found something wrong with everyone and moved right along. Two years ago, I met Nathan through business and we're now engaged to be married. The problem is that Charlotte, Nathan's ex-wife, did not want the divorce and has done all she can to turn his adult children and his own family against him and against me. My sons have welcomed Nathan into our family, but my fiance's grown children are having a very hard time and are considering not attending our wedding. This has hurt my fiance greatly. He feels that he stayed in the marriage for his children and put on a brave face for years. So for them to reject him now is awful for him. I met him after he had filed for divorce and did nothing to cause the demise of their relationship. Yet we constantly hear that Charlotte tells people I'm a seducer and a homewrecker and how her life is ruined because of me. Nathan doesn't seem to understand why Charlotte's attacks are so painful and upsetting to me. She's also cast a pall of doubt and sadness over the wedding planning 
and even went so far as to tell their only daughter that she might come to the wedding and make a scene. Nathan was unfazed and said, oh, that's just Charlotte. This is truly the first happiness I've had in years, but to have someone constantly on the attack is taking a toll on me and our relationship. Should I be expecting Nathan to confront his ex-wife, or do I just carry on and hope that she stops? Please help. Lily. Well, I really feel for Lily because it's such a tricky situation when you've worked so hard as a single mom for a a long time, raising three kids, and then you finally find happiness. And then there's so much conflict because of the exes. But it does take time to blend families. And this is still very much new for all involved. So I'm interested to hear Nathan's perspective and hear what his concerns are and how much they dovetail with Lily's. Right. And you're right. It's often very tricky for people to navigate their new relationship and the old relationship, especially when there are children involved, even adult children. So I'm glad we're having them on together so that we can hear what they're both struggling with and try to help them resolve this. So let's go talk to them. You're listening to Dear Therapist from iHeartRadio. We'll be back after a short break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Dear Therapist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash Dear Therapists. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Lori Gottlieb. And I'm Guy Winch, and this is Dear Therapists. Hi, Lily. Hi, Nathan. Hi, Lori. Hi, Lori. Thank you for coming on the show. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thank you for having us on the show. 
You're very welcome. And Nathan, we want to start with you because Lily wrote us the letter and we'd like to hear your perspective. Could you tell us your thoughts about what the issues are with Charlotte and the upcoming wedding and how you see things? So my ex-wife, Charlotte, is not happy about the fact that I am engaged to anyone, and she's not happy that I'm engaged in particular to Lily. So Charlotte is saying very unkind things about me and about Lily to my mother, my sister, my three grown children, which are 27, 25, and 23. And I'm hearing that she's really saying some nasty things about both Lily and me, and that I don't like that. How are you responding when that happens? Well, I'm not actually responding at all to my ex-wife. My children talk to me about what my ex-wife is saying, and they don't like it that she's saying those things to them. But to answer your question, I'm not really doing much of anything except being very discouraged that that's going on amongst my extended family and my friends. It sounds like Charlotte was not the one who wanted the marriage to end. Is that right? Correct. And then you met Lily after that. Okay, so the history of my relationship with Lily is for quite some time before I was divorced or even before I was working on getting divorced, Lily owned a consulting company that consulted with my wife and I for the the three businesses that we owned. And there was nothing ever inappropriate going on during that time. And after the divorce was finalized and everything, then I got to know Lily on a non-professional basis. And so my ex-wife feels very, very betrayed. Does she still work with Lily, meaning you have these businesses with your ex-wife and then Lily is still involved in a professional capacity? No, not at all. Lily, her company no longer consults with my companies and certainly doesn't consult with my ex-wife at all. When you decided that you wanted to leave the marriage and Charlotte did not, how was that managed between the two of you? Did you go to couples therapy? What was that like? We had been married for 31 years. And for the last 16 of those years, we had been in and out of couples therapy. We each had individual therapists. We tried everything that we could think of, and it didn't work. And really what what had happened in those 16 years is I had started becoming very resentful of her. And so it really got to a point where I don't think my ex-wife even had a chance with me because the slightest jab just accrued to this mountain of resentment that I had. When you talk about resentment, do you mean that you held it inside or you told her, this is bothering me? I would tell her it was bothering me and it didn't make any difference. And so I held it inside. When you first told her you wanted to separate and get divorced, before you started seeing Lily, how upset was she then? And was there a big change once Lily came in the picture? Or was she angry even before she just didn't have Lily to to blame for it. Before Lily came into the picture, Charlotte was very angry and bitter. She did not want it. She felt abandoned. She felt all sorts of things, which caused her to be pretty nasty. And then when Lily came on the scene, 
it added to her upset over the whole thing. What were the discussions between you and Lily at that time, at the beginning when this started, in terms of how to handle it? We had talked about me addressing this with uh, my ex-wife, you know, just calling her or getting together and saying this, that, and the other thing. I'm sorry, what, this, that, and the other thing would be what? I know what you're doing, here's what I'm hearing, what you're saying, and I want you to stop it. Lily and I had talked about me confronting my ex-wife with that. I chose not to go that route because I thought that it would just accrue to her nasty things she could say to my kids. Your dad is really losing it. Now he's telling me I'm doing things I'm not doing or something like that. Oh, that she would really make something up, you mean? Right. Lily, what was your feeling about that? Nathan's response was, oh, it will stop. This will go away. And so I, well, I felt quite hurt, not by Nathan necessarily, but just by the whole experience because I was being asked to meet his children, to develop a relationship with his family. So my experience was that I was hearing conflicting things. Charlotte's saying these things about you, but they will go away. And also, can you please develop a relationship with the children? That is very true. I was thinking, oh, it'll just kind of, you know, quietly go away. And Lily said, I don't think it will. And she was right. If anything, it's probably more amplified. Before Lily came into the picture, how did your kids feel about the fact that their parents were divorcing? My oldest one was brokenhearted. I went through my divorce at about the same time that he was getting married. And so during the divorce, he has his wedding and he's very, very upset that his parents are getting divorced. My middle son said, gee, dad, I really appreciate you sticking around while we were growing up. I'm glad I had both my parents in the house. And then my youngest, my daughter was more, oh, okay. But it was easier for her to do that because she has a very toxic relationship with her mother. So she at one point said, I understand why you're divorcing mom. <laughs> I can't stand her either, which isn't really helpful. But initially my oldest, he was very upset. And so what I did was I just avoided him because I didn't want to talk to someone who was mad at me. And several months into that, I realized I'm making worse a situation by the way I'm dealing with it. So I went to him and I said, hey, listen, I'm really sorry. I've been hiding from you. You mean the world to me. And I've been avoiding you and I'm really sorry. And then a couple months after that, he wrote a letter to me and read it to me about how he really wants to rebuild the relationship and be close. So it was very nice. Nathan, is that a tendency you have to avoid people when there's conflict between you? Lily's smiling right now. In the business world, no, not at all. In my personal life, yeah, I do. I just kind of veer away from dealing with what's at hand in personal relationships. So I've expressed to Nathan, I've said, why didn't you talk to me about that? And he has said, well, I didn't want to ruin a beautiful moment. I feel I try to get Nathan to speak to me about things that are disappointing or frustrating him, small things often, as opposed to that stuffing and resentment that may be a, a pattern. Nathan, I'm wondering where you learned that it's easier not to bring something up than to bring something up. Oh, 
Well, I have 16 years of experience doing that in my marriage. Essentially, I would bring things up. It would be irrelevant. And so just quit bringing them up. It sounds like, though, you had 16 years of marriage before the second 16 years where it was more difficult. It's hard to get through 16 years if you don't have open communication. And you're saying you did for those first 16 years. So why do you think things shifted so drastically in terms of having had this solid foundation of being able to communicate and then all of a sudden not being able to? Around year 16, I started to become uncomfortable with some of the ways that my ex-wife and I were parenting. And I was very uncomfortable with how upset my ex-wife would get with our children. And I, I tried to address that. And it didn't work. Can you give us an example? So one of the kids was being a handful to her. And I was not home. And it was winter. She took an eight-year-old and put him outside the house and locked the door. And I did not like that. I thought that was wrong. And I said as much. And she got a bunch of her friends to come around me and say, no, that was okay. And I said, no, it's not okay. There's no way to make it okay. So that's just one example of many where I said, no, you can't treat the kids this way. You're a parent there as well. When she's saying, no, I'm going to do this and it's okay. And here are my friends to convince you that it is okay. And you're very convinced that it's not. Do you continue having the discussion with Charlotte because this is really important? Or do you just at some point, if she's not willing to hear it, you just let it go. Initially, I tried to have dialogue about it and press my point. But then Charlotte got my family to basically turn on me. And I decided to stay married um, at that point at year 16 or 17 or whatever it was versus divorcing her and having not much custody of my kids because Charlotte was a stay-at-home mom. And she had, at that point in time, my family on her side, that I was a bad guy. So I made a calculating decision to stay in the house so my kids could go through life with what appeared to be an intact family. And then the day I wrote the last tuition check for my youngest kid, I said, now I'm leaving. I'm curious about how she got your family to think you're a bad guy. I'm not hearing what you did that was bad in terms of parenting. Charlotte was very convincing that I was out of line by not wanting the, the parents to yell at the kids and not putting them outside and locking the door in the winter. And the family agreed with her. Your parents did not raise you that way, did they? No, they didn't. So I'm wondering why your parents then were agreeing with Charlotte that that was okay in terms of a parenting strategy. Because of the way Charlotte spun it to my family. Which was what? Nathan is just this laissez-faire parent. He's not a disciplinarian. The kids are all going to go to hell because he's this, that, and the other thing. And they jumped on board. And I'm just wondering why you couldn't directly say to your family, I'm not laissez-faire. I don't think that it's healthy to yell at our kids or to lock them outside in the winter. I, I tried. <laughs> so you actually used those specific examples. I did. But then again, I was scared to press it too much because I didn't want to 
basically be tossed out of the family and have very limited access to my children. Be tossed out of the family by your own family? By my own family and by my wife. In other words, the argument of, no, it's a good idea to discipline kids by putting them outside in the winter and locking the door would have been so compelling to your parents who did not raise you that way and would not have done that, that they might have actually shunned you because you didn't want to do something that they would never have done themselves. And again, I'm confused about how you lost that messaging war with your own family. I understand how you might have lost it with Charlotte, but with your own family. Well, she did a very effective job of convincing people of a version of me that was more extreme than I really was. And you get a family involved, you get a church involved. You know, people at our church turned on me. People at our church came over and said, listen, righteous anger is, is part of parenting. And I said, no, I don't think there's righteous anger when it comes to kids. And they'd be like, well, it's, it's in the Bible. And I, I said, well, I don't think it is. So you tend to lose that war when you have the faithful against you. Lily? I think Nathan was changing. At least that's the, the understanding that I have, is that the change was, I don't know that I would say drastic. Nathan can speak to that. But it seemed to me that this was a departure from the normal and that that was so not okay. Let's wipe it out. Let's eradicate it. Yes, exactly. An example of that is when our kids were little, I had spanked them, or at least the boys. And I had a, an awakening at some point that that was really wrong. And I went to the kids and I said, hey, listen, when you were little, I spanked you and that was wrong. And I don't want you to think that was okay. I wish I could undo it. That infuriated Charlotte that I would a, admit that I was wrong and that that was wrong. How did the boys feel when you went to them and apologized? They were very grateful. They're like, ah, oh, I really appreciate that. Because I didn't think that was okay. I know I was being a really difficult kid, but striking me like that, I really appreciate you acknowledging that that was wrong. Given that you seem to be able to communicate openly with the kids, what was going on with the kids and Charlotte since she was home with them more and also had this different parenting philosophy than you did. They were very much drawn to me and away from her. They felt like they could talk to me and I wouldn't get mad at them. And so because I was that way, that made Charlotte more upset at me because the kids were more drawn to me. And the more they're drawn to me, the angrier she gets. So these, there are these patterns that have been going on for 16 years plus. And one of those is that when you disagreed with Charlotte, she would start these messaging campaigns and speak to the church and speak to your family and get everyone on her side and against you. And you would fight it a little bit, but very quickly kind of felt helpless and unable to do anything about it. And you would kind of throw up your hands. And do you see that that's what's happening a little bit today with what's going on with Charlotte and what she's saying about Lily, that she's contacting the family and she's contacting the kids and she's using that same kind of, let's control the narrative and turn everyone against you. And that you've been conditioned over 16 years to feel like I can't fight that, I can't stop that. And that the fact that that's going on is making you feel a bit paralyzed. Absolutely. 
I absolutely agree with what you just said. I see this tendency to almost see the fire burning in one area and instead of going to pour water on it, just look away from it or walk away from it. And so that has been hard because then when you turn back around, in fact, there's still a blaze going on or there's still things that are you know, negative things being said. And and the fire is getting very, very close to your marriage. Yes. Nathan, are you aware of what Lily's experience is like when she hears that these things are being said about her? Because it's not just your character that's being attacked. It's Lily's as well. I don't know what it's exactly like for her, but I know what it's like to have your character destroyed by people close to you. It's very painful. If you could go inside Lily's world for a minute, if you could go inside her heart and her mind, what do you think that would be like? She's so excited about you. She'd been a single mom for a long time. She had prioritized her own children. Just like you, you both made these sacrifices. You said, I'm going to stay in the marriage for my children's sake. She said, I'm not going to date too much for my children's sake. And then you found each other. And you seem to have a lot of love for each other. And there seems to be a lot of compatibility and real gratitude for having found each other. Yes. She's very excited. She really wants to move into this next chapter with you. And yet she's being attacked quite viciously, unfairly. And you are kind of not really doing anything about it to help protect her. What do you think that's like for her on a day-to-day basis? Probably terrible to think she's in love with this person who's in love with her and he's letting the fire get closer to her and he's not doing anything about it and not protecting her from the bad people in my life. Sort of feels like I'm a secret. I know that Nathan is very proud and is is we're very pleased to be engaged and excited about our lives together. But then there is a part of it that feels like, well, let's just not broadcast it because it causes problems. With the church, with the friends, with the family, you're a secret from whom? It feels like anything that we might do to be celebratory might enrage Charlotte more. So I try to be tiptoeing or maybe a little bit more damping down or not so amplified about excitement or about even getting married because it has been floated by Charlotte. This is inappropriate. This is wrong. What What is inappropriate? Our relationship. I've been advised by people in my life, well, you should confront her yourself. And yet those things, Nathan and I have a lot of similar characteristics just in our gentle way, and that doesn't feel like us. So we haven't done that. I haven't done it. But I also do feel very exposed. Lily, may I ask you, what are you holding back on out of concern of not triggering or upsetting Charlotte? I'd like to hear what are the kinds of things he would have done otherwise or would like to do that you're hesitant to do? I would like to be closer to Nathan's children, gifting or that sort of thing. Social media, I'm completely silent because of fear of upsetting Charlotte, because of fear of giving Charlotte more ammunition to hurt Nathan, 
to hurt us, to attack us. I'm very proud of our relationship, and yet I'm not sure how to go about this without angering someone. For example, we were going to travel together, and I said, well, make sure you don't tell your adult children about that, because I don't want Charlotte to criticize us or our relationship. So it's a matter of me wanting to avoid conflict. But then you're the one, in part, for all kinds of reasons, that's keeping you a secret, that's keep secrets from the kids because any information can and will be used against us by Charlotte. But do you see that you have a part in that feeling of our relationship is secret when it should be celebratory? I do see my part in it. And I think that that comes from a history of a similar person in my life or a similar reaction to just wanting to run from conflict. You said in your letter that you also have a difficult co-parenting situation. Are you avoiding conflict in that situation as well? Or when you said you have some history with this, is it from earlier than that? I would say both. It is from my co-parenting relationship where I keep things close to the vest for a lot of reasons. And then also in my family of origin, I chose to pursue divorce, which was perhaps not approved of by my family. So yes, I'm very quiet on social media. I'm hesitant to anger anyone because I too have a fear of repercussions. I'm curious to hear a little bit more about the pattern of avoidance that you've had and your fear of disappointing your family. Do you remember experiencing that when you were growing up? Yes. It was very much discouraged to make any choice that went against what my parents felt was the best choice. Our raising was to please my parents and was to caretake their emotions and make sure they were happy. So my kind of pulling away from my family specifically is because I am an adult woman. I run a business. I have three very healthy, successful children. And I feel proud of my ability to make decisions now. At the time, I didn't have that self-assertion under my belt. So in terms of this relationship with Nathan. How do they feel about that? My parents are very supportive of my children's father and they're not supportive of me at all. They're not supportive of my dissolution. It's very painful. And I have forged ahead despite their disapproval. So I guess I'm wondering what that means. Have they met Nathan? Are they going to be coming to the wedding? Do they say things to your children that they wish you weren't with Nathan and they wish you were still married? Is there some kind of Charlotte-like campaign going on in your own family? I have a very supportive family that is not my family of origin. It's my extended family. So my extended family has met Nathan. They're very supportive. My parents have not met Nathan. They have not had any interest in a relationship with me since I pursued divorce. That sounds quite severe and unfortunate and really, really difficult. Your kids, you say, are on board with Nathan. They're very, yes. 
sorry, that's a big can of worms that I didn't mean to to open up on you there. It's so interesting that you're apologizing to us for sharing a deeply painful experience. And I think that's part of the messaging that you got. It's very embarrassing because it's a failure for me to not be able to maintain a relationship with my parents. It's your failure somehow? Sure. I would love to have a relationship with them and they're not okay with me being divorced. And I wish to protect Nathan from all that. So I've introduced Nathan to my children. The first man I've introduced to my children, I've introduced Nathan to my extended family. And they've all said, what a lovely man this person is to, for you to have chosen and how blessed you are to have found each other. I have not gone down that path with my parents. It's very fractured. Your parents have refused to meet him or you haven't asked them to meet him? I have not asked them to meet him. Given that you so want a relationship with your parents and given that nothing will change if you don't ask them, what's keeping you from asking them? I took a stand to say this is what's right for my adult life to pursue dissolution and having a peaceful household. And since they did not support that, this next phase of my life that's very exciting and wonderful and positive, their opinion has ceased to matter to me. I think it does matter to you. I can see how painful this is for you. I've built up a very large wall of This is my decision and I feel good about it. So hearing their opinion, this is the college you should go to. These are the clothes you should wear. This is the man you should marry. And that was the first man. So asking their opinion feels irrelevant. I think that what your fear is, is that they will offer an opinion. And even though you're telling us that's fine, they're irrelevant and I won't care. The history is that you actually spent many years caring so much that you then do what they suggest, even if you don't want to. And so I think it's less about the fact that, no, I'm already disconnected from them. It's not going to matter. I think it still matters very much. And that the fear is that if they do meet Nathan and they are disapproving of him in some way, that that will impact you, that that will upset you tremendously. And that's the thing that you're trying to avoid by not asking them. It's a very good observation. And I think what Guy is saying is that you've been telling yourself for a very long time that their opinion doesn't matter. And that because you believe that, you feel like I'm okay with this relationship. It's okay. It doesn't bother me. But I think that the way you move through this isn't to pretend that it doesn't bother you. It's to actually say what you said today, which is, I miss my parents. I want to have a relationship with my parents. Whether or not they're able to do that with you, we don't know yet. Correct. Your parents didn't approve of your leaving your marriage. And then you were a single mom for a long time. Were they involved? in your life while you were a single mom, not just with your kids, but with you? 
even though they didn't approve of that choice? Um, emotionally and financially, those are the kind of the two aspects of being a single mom are financial and emotional. And they were absolutely back turned to me. And I dealt with that. And it was, it was a process of seven years of becoming okay with it. And it was, it was not always something that I could almost physically handle from an emotional standpoint. It was very challenging. Do you have siblings? I'm the oldest of five and all four of my siblings have sided with my parents and have a very connected relationship with my children's father. And so it's been tough to almost be a tree standing alone and saying, I will parent these children and I will be a loving mom and, and not have that financial nor emotional support. I was de-invited from several things like Christmas Eve where they chose to invite my children's father and not me. And your children. That's correct. Lily, what your parents and your four siblings are upset with you about, is it for getting divorce period for religious objection or is it something else? Like what's their narrative about why you're so terrible? It's very similar to Charlotte. It's a very intense campaign by my children's father, very similar to the way that Charlotte has demonized. Very, very similar where we don't understand why Lily would leave such a great person. Lily created a broken home. And I have sincerely apologized to them and said, I'm sorry that I embarrassed you by pursuing dissolution. This was what was right for me. And I did this intentionally for all my children. It's interesting, Lily, because your letter seemed to be about Charlotte and what she's doing. And there was no mention of the fact that you've got something very similar going on in your own family. Charlotte may be louder, but sometimes silence is extremely loud. The silence from your parents. It's extremely loud. It's extremely loud. They live six miles and it is absolute silence. And, you know, we're, we're planning a wedding and we're, we're very excited. And lots of people know, my children know and... They're very excited. They adore Nathan. And they, in fact, were planning a trip this summer. And I brought up something about a certain number of guest rooms we'd need. And they said, well, we need room for Nathan. So it was almost a little bit of a test when I tossed that out there. And they said, well, he's coming, isn't he? So that's very affirming to me that they're accepting him. Right. It was, again, it was a test as opposed to the direct communication. I do shy away from conflict. In personal relationships, I perhaps am a people pleaser similar to Nathan and don't want to ruin a beautiful moment to borrow a phrase from Nathan. Can I ask you, what, how do your children manage or what do they say about the fact that Christmas comes and they don't get to go with you to your parents, they go with their father to your parents? It's so awkward for them probably. What did they say about that? And this was when you were a single mom and you didn't have someone else to celebrate Christmas with in that way. It seems that within our family dynamic, they know it's just something not to ask. Are they clear that you haven't been invited 
Or might they think that you elect not to go? They might think I've elected not to go when in fact I've been asked not to come. You haven't said to them, I can't join you because I've been asked not to come. That's correct. I've always wanted to protect them from, you know, it's not their fault that I chose to pursue divorce. So I've wanted to say, you go and have a good time. I'll be fine. You keep wanting to protect them because you feel like this is your responsibility. You've said that several times. I chose to pursue divorce. This was my choice. And I don't want them to be hurt by my choice. As if you're believing the narrative that your parents have created. The narrative is, look what you have done. You did something bad. And so you are playing into that narrative. And you're also teaching your children something about avoidance. You said they know not to ask. So they learn that somehow, implicitly. It's in the air in your family with all of you. It's not just you. It sounds like the dynamic in your entire family is we don't talk about the things that are going to be uncomfortable. That was the family I was raised in, was we don't talk about painful things. We talk about good things. So I have done similar to Nathan, although I did not realize it until this conversation. I've stuffed a lot of pain myself, and I've not addressed it head on with a lot of people. And what I'm saying is that your kids are now getting the message that they shouldn't talk about these things either. Because most kids would be curious, well, why isn't mom coming to Christmas and where is she? But they know, oh, we don't go there, that's taboo. We can't talk about that. They don't ask. They're trained not to ask because they don't want to cross that line, that unspoken line in your family. They've gotten that message. And I just want you to be aware of that, that they've gotten the message that they should not bring up things too. And you grew up that way. So you understand what that feels like. So it's just something to think about that if I don't model for them bringing things up, like if I say, oh, look, how many plane tickets are we going to buy without saying, hey, how do you feel about Nathan coming on this trip with us? They will learn what they see, which is we indirectly deal with things. We don't directly deal with things. I appreciate that very much. This is a way that I can be healthier is to change that, make another conscious change in addition to the changes and the choices that I made in this household that is mine. Thank you. I want to go back to something else you said, and that was, Part of the reason I don't tell them that I was told not to come was because I don't want to speak poorly of people. And I think that there's a way that you and Nathan confuse not speaking about what's actually going on with speaking poorly of people, because to say what's actually going on will have implications and will imply that your parents acted poorly by forbidding you to come to Christmas. So I don't want to speak poorly of them and say to the kids that I'm not coming because I was told not to. But that's not speaking poorly of someone. That's just saying the truth about what happens. And when you don't do that, it leaves kids to come up with a reason of why you're not there. And what they're hearing from their father is whatever that reason is, it's something to do with you and your badness. 
And so by not letting them know the truth, you're actually opening yourself up for them to hear even more criticisms about you. And I think that there's a big difference between attacking someone for the sake of attacking them and defending yourself by pointing out the truth when you're being attacked. You know, the narrative that's being spun about you is you're terrible people for getting divorced. Somehow, both of you ended up being scapegoated by your own family. And I think in part that ends up happening because you are not putting up any kind of defense and you're not even speaking truth about what's going on in a way that allows the other people to have a more balanced narrative. You are almost colluding with the distorted narrative that your exes are presenting to everyone. And you seem to classify that under the choice of we don't want to start getting into that or we don't want to speak poorly of people. But speaking the truth about what's going on and defending yourself when you're being attacked is a very reasonable thing to do. And it also allows the record to be put straight at least somewhat. And without doing that, you're both at such a severe disadvantage. And again, it ends up with you colluding with a very narrative that's been so hurtful. Can you see that? Yes. What occurs to me is this concept of the identified patient in a family, that the family has issues that they don't talk about. And then one person is the person who holds all of the symptoms for the family. It's usually the person who says, here's the truth. Here's what's actually happening. And they get sacrificed. Demonized. Demonized. Both of you seem to have been that person in your respective families. Both of you said, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't feel right. And people said, oh, no, no, no. Something's wrong with you. Not something's wrong with the family system that you're in. Something is wrong with you. And that can go two different ways. The person can say, oh, look, I found some emotional freedom. I found my truth and I feel at peace because I'm not in that family system that wasn't working. The other thing that can happen is, as Guy said, you collude with it and you say, oh, I believe them. Something must be wrong with me. I must be bad. When another part of you doesn't believe that because you made choices that show you don't believe that. But it's hard to let go of that narrative that sucks you back in every time that keeps you from speaking up, that keeps you from speaking the truth, that keeps you looking away from the fire and willing to put yourself at such jeopardy to get so close to that fire. Instead of saying, we need to put some water on that fire, we need to douse it. The collusion happens in silence. When you're silent, you're colluding because your silence is agreement. Your silence just leaves the echo of what everyone else is saying except you. That's the collusion. And not just the silence about setting the record straight around these accusations, like you've somehow wrecked Nathan's marriage, which isn't what happened. It's the silence around your joy, too. That's part of the collusion. Hey, I want to post on Facebook that we're going on this vacation because I'm really excited about it, or I'm having so much fun planning the wedding. I've spent so many years looking for this person, and I found him, and I'm so excited about that. 
And same with you, Nathan. If there are things that you don't talk about that make you really happy about your future with Lily because you're afraid that talking about it is going to just rile people up, you're colluding with this. And if you stopped colluding, the narrative might look like, I'm a really compassionate parent. I don't want my eight-year-old sitting out in the cold. I don't want my children yelled at. I'm very compassionate, just different from laissez-faire. And with you, Lily, not I'm a terrible person for leaving that marriage, but that marriage was not healthy for me or our children. And I made a responsible choice to leave it, to get into a more peaceful position because I will be a better parent if I am not in a relationship that is unhealthy. I love that message. And that is the message that is true. I haven't broadcasted. Neither of you have broadcasted. And that's part of the problem. And even more a problem is that you've started to believe each of you, the narrative of your exes, such that you're behaving like guilty people by not wanting to celebrate too openly, by not wanting to be too joyful, as if you've done something wrong, by getting out of marriages in which you are miserable and finding love and happiness, somehow that's wrong. And again, it's because your silence has allowed that narrative to prevail so strongly that it's filtered in and infected you both. I see how much you're both nodding when Guy said, you're behaving like guilty people, like as if you're criminals and you have to hide out so that you don't get caught. Exactly. It seems like you're almost in jail. You're going to be found out for this crime that you've committed, this crime of being happy, this crime of doing something responsible, this crime of living your lives in a way that's healthy for you and your children. We found something called cherophobia, the fear of joy. And that resonated with both of us. We said, oh gosh, that's us. It did resonate that that thought of we are so joyful and yet there is a fear. What if people find out or all these critical people, the mobs that surround us, what if they find out? Will it incite more criticism, which both of us shy away from? People who develop cherophobia have a fear of being punished for their joy. That's where that comes from. If I live in a way that feels joyful, and aligned with who I am, people are going to punish me for that. And in fact, both of you have been punished for your joy. And that's why you're experiencing cherophobia. But the thing is that these people are not your wardens. You are not in jail. And there are no laws against joy. It's funny when we're away together, we feel so free and so joyful. But then when we have to face reality, we do have that sort of uh, push and pull of wanting people to know. And then in fact, thinking, will that mean more criticism or angst in the relationships? The thing is that your reality doesn't change whether you encounter these people or you don't. It changes in your mind. You see them, you feel bad. You don't see them, you feel at peace and you can enjoy each other. But the reality isn't different. It's how you respond to the people around you that is changing how you view your reality. And maybe we can help you come up with some ideas about how to change how you respond to what's going on around you. Because what you actually have seems beautiful. And what's unfortunate is that, in fact, both of you stayed 
in unhappy marriages for a long time and then also made sacrifices, you, Lily, afterwards, just for the sake of your kids. In other words, you didn't act on a whim. You didn't just impulsively decide, nah, not for me, I'm getting out. You, this was so thought through. And Nathan, in your case, you literally stayed 16 years, such a long time being demonized in a very difficult marriage just for the sake of your kids. And Lily mm -hmm. really wanted to focus on parenting and on supporting financially your kids because your parents weren't helping you. So the sacrifices you made are so significant and that's what makes it even sadder that you're today somehow feeling guilty and acting like you are having an affair instead of like you're both divorced people who are getting married. It's very well said, Guy. That is spot on. As you're walking around like criminals doing something wrong, I think what you don't realize is that you both found a way, and it was very hard one for both of you, to actually get out of the jail you were in. And now that you're both free, you still feel like you're in jail. You both escaped the actual jails and you don't realize that you're free. And that's the big miss. So Lily and Nathan, we have some advice for you. And all of it revolves around the fact that the two of you still feel like you're in jail and that you've committed a crime and that you are guilty. And we think that the jailers at this point aren't necessarily all the people around you, but it's yourselves. And so we want you to free yourselves from the prison that you have put yourself in. To start, the first task that we'd like you to do this week is that we would like you to talk to your children because it sounds like you're hearing a lot of what other people are thinking through your children. And we would like you to say to them, we are open 100% of the time to hear how you feel about anything that's going on, but we are not interested in hearing how other people feel through you. In other words, if other people have feelings about us, they can tell us directly, but we don't want you to be in the middle of this anymore. And what that does is it tells them, A, you are open to hearing anything that they feel, and B, that they are not going to be triangulated into this and you do not have to hear all of these very hurtful things that you keep hearing. There's no reason that you need to hear all of this. It does not help you in any way. And it does not help your kids to have to feel like they are the messengers of this. We want to really cut down on all of the noise out there that's incoming to you. And we hope that this will be a relief, not just to you, but to your kids as well. Nathan, have your parents met Lily? Only my mother is alive and she is welcoming her into the family and refers to her as just lovely. Oh, that's great to hear. Does your mom also tell you when Charlotte says this or that, do you get any negative criticisms or messaging from your mom? Yeah, she slips some in, yes. So the same message goes to her. And so same with her as the children that if she wants to share her feelings with me, she can do that, but not information or feelings of Charlotte. Exactly. Okay. And so Lily, we have a task for you too. We know that you would like your parents to meet Nathan. And because you are not in jail anymore, we would like you to ask your parents if they would like to meet Nathan. And we would like you to be prepared for the possibility that they will disappoint you. 
They could disappoint you by saying no. They could disappoint you by meeting him and then offering some criticism. There are all kinds of ways they could disappoint you. But we think that part of being in jail is not even asking for what you want. And that just the act of saying, this matters to me, I would like a relationship with you. And as part of that, I would like you to meet this person that I am in love with, that I am going into a very healthy future with. And see what that experience is like for you just to do the asking with zero expectations that they are going to react in the way that you hope they will. I can do that. It'll be an act of bravery, but I can do it. It will take tremendous courage, but it will be the first step in getting yourself out of jail. Because if you can do that, you'll be able to speak your truth with other people in your life too. And you won't be so influenced by this narrative that keeps you in jail. Now you're taking control of the narrative. This is what I would like, and I'm going to ask for it. And it may work out and it may not work out, but I asked. I can do that. Thank you. And the orientation through which you're going to approach this ask is that you're going to be very clear that first, if they decide they are interested in meeting Nathan, that you're very clear from the beginning that you're not asking for their opinion about Nathan, that you just want them to meet this person who brings you so much joy. And so when they do offer their opinion, if they happen to meet him, and if they happen to not remember that request, you can say, mom, dad, I really appreciate your meeting Nathan. Again, I'm not interested in your opinion. I just wanted you to meet him. And if they say no, that they're not interested in meeting Nathan, instead of just holding in all of that pain and saying nothing, which is what you tend to do, you can truthfully and respectfully tell them, that makes me really sad that this is a person that's very important to me. And it makes me very sad for our relationship that my parents are not willing to meet this person who matters so much to me. I've heard all of your reasons. I just want to let you know I'm very disappointed and I'm very sad and I'm going to go now. One last task and we're going to end on a slightly more upbeat note. Given that the two of you have had to endure all these negatively spun narratives about what to Laurie and I is obvious to be a wonderful love story of two people who seem really compatible, who have been going through such similar things, who really get one another. We would like you to write your narrative of the love story. We would like you to literally write as if one day your great-grandchildren will find this and read about, oh, wow, what a great love story. The theme of it is why we both deserve the happiness and the love that we've found with one another. Write the story of how you fell in love, what you love about the other person, how you bring happiness to each other, why you're such a good match for one another. We'd like you to have a very clear narrative that's the truth, that's your narrative, that's not skewed, that's not soiled by the resentments of your exes. And then, lastly, we're thinking about your wedding, which is your opportunity to publicly celebrate, not in jail, out there in the open, your love for one another. And we'd like you to take elements from that 
and work it into the ceremony in some kind of way in which you are publicly telling one another in front of the witnesses of the people who love you, unapologetically, openly, why you love the other person and how they make you happy. This is a celebration of your love. Give us an example or two of elements that you're going to include in the ceremony that are celebratory and openly happy and loving and very liberated from the jail of guilt and doubt that your exes have been on a campaign to impose on you for the past couple of years. You can do that. Yeah, I can do that. I'm noticing how both of you were smiling so much when Guy was explaining about writing your love story, because that is the story that gets lost when you feel like you've done something wrong. And we want you to celebrate this freedom that you've worked so hard for over decades in both of your lives. Hope that Facebook page changes too. Thank you very much, both of you, for your time. You're very welcome. Yeah, thank you very much. Our pleasure. It's our honor to be supported by you. We appreciate it. It's so unfortunate that each of their exes was able to galvanize public support and really turn their own families against them. But I really hope they'll be able to reverse some of the negative impact of that. I think they both have this internal battle of hearing their own voices and then that getting drowned out by all the noise out there. And what's interesting is that the letter from Lily was about Charlotte, but it turned out that they both had very similar situations where they doubted themselves so much because of all the noise out there. Like that example of locking the child out, the eight-year-old in the cold in the winter that is actually something that child services would be called in for, but yet his family has convinced him that he is a laissez-faire parent. That's how deep this campaign has seeped in to each of their identities. And how much it's distorted their perceptions of what's reasonable and what isn't, and how much they deserve to find love and happiness. I really hope that if they follow through with the homework that we gave them, that they'll be able to get themselves out of jail. You're listening to Dear Therapists. We'll be back after a short break. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Guy, we heard back from Nathan and Lily, and let's hear what happened this week. Hi, Lori and Guy. This is Lily. Nathan contacted his mom, and he asked her to no longer share Charlotte's feelings with him about his parenting, divorce proceedings, and Charlotte's feelings with Nathan. He affirms that he was very supportive and wanted a relationship with his mom, but not surrounding Charlotte and her feedback. Nathan's mom was very receptive to him and to this messaging, and she agreed to honor his requests. She actually seemed a little relieved, Nathan said. She said that this was something that was important to her as well. Nathan's children had not been sharing Charlotte's feelings with him, but in the spirit of no longer behaving like he's in jail, Nathan has been intentionally talking with his adult children about me and our relationship and sharing the joy that we are experiencing and has been allowing them to share his excitement about the life we are creating together. So with this pursuit of freedom from a jail that was of our own making, Nathan is intentionally and openly sharing about our relationship with his friends, his coworkers, and I can just feel that he seems more relaxed. Nathan is also catching himself when he slips up and acts like he's in jail again. For example, Nathan and I were driving onto a ferry and we suddenly realized that my ex-husband was in the car directly in front of us. Nathan asked me if he should pull over so there would be a car or two between us. I said, no. We both laughed and we realized how hiding has become second nature to us. As you suggested, I called my dad and I shared with him that I would like for he and my mom to meet Nathan. He said that it would be a good idea. And so we are working on a time for that meeting to happen. Nathan and I did travel to watch my son play baseball. The game happened to be played where my ex-husband was raised in a very small town a few hours away. Filled with confidence from our time with you, Nathan and I proudly went to the game together. This may seem like a small step, but it was actually big for me to take Nathan into a situation where I've hidden from people who have demonized me for pursuing divorce. It felt scary at first, but great to have my loving partner by my side. We sat together, we enjoyed the game, we laughed. It was very freeing. It was a great time. Nathan and I have started to write our stories of falling in love 
and we are working on being more open about it. We are embracing the events and emotions that have come with our relationship and our decision to be together. We're experiencing joy and a deeper connection as we are more honest with the world about our relationship. Revealing more of my heart publicly is new for me, but this feels like a really good step in healing, maturing, and moving on. Our biggest revelation from our time with you is that Nathan and I realized how much we have been accepting the criticism and shame we felt from others and punishing ourselves in the process. Your encouragement to put up boundaries for ourselves and celebrate our relationship is helping us to share our joy and creating space and freedom for us to grow together as a couple. We want to thank you so much for your wise insights. The process has been amazing for us both. Thank you for caring about us. We sincerely appreciate you. Wishing you all the best. Thank you. Bye. So Lori, we have a jailbreak on our hands. We have two people who have escaped to freedom and who are starting to discover all the ways in which they were jailed. The example in the car on the ferry is such a great example of, oh yeah, typically we would start hiding and wait, we don't have to hide. Or we go to a baseball game because that's enemy territory. But nope, we're not in prison and we didn't do anything wrong. So we can be safe because we're just going there as a loving couple seeing my son. So it, there's so many examples of that. And I think they're going to keep encountering them as they go forward. I think that the theme too was that not only were they relieved, but so was everyone around them. And I think they didn't expect that. So Lily was saying that Nathan's mom was not only receptive to his boundary, but was relieved that she didn't have to be put in that position anymore. Lily was so worried about asking her parents to meet Nathan. And the response was, yeah, we think that would be a good idea. So all of this was just living in these unspoken places. And she was right that they had internalized this shame from others. And so I think that this is going to open up so many possibilities for a real restructuring and healing within the entire extended family on both sides. And the biggest validation people can have to the fact that they've been living in a jail of their own creation is that when they do break out of it, no one on the outside is trying to put them back in. So I'm really hopeful that this is gonna be a significant change for them. For all of our listeners, the big takeaway here is that when you own your truth and you set boundaries around that truth and you speak your truth, you become free. You get out of jail. Next week, we hear back from Audrey to see how she's doing a year later after she came to us struggling to move on from a divorce that happened seven years earlier. And he said, so I have four major stressors in my life, my marriage, my health, my work, and that I'm a father. He said, one of those things is on the chopping block and that's the marriage. If you're enjoying our podcast, don't forget to subscribe for free so that you don't miss any episodes. And please help support Dear Therapist by telling your friends about it and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews really help people to find the show. If you have a dilemma you'd like to discuss with us, email us at laurieandguy at iheartmedia.com. Our executive producer is Noel Brown. We're produced and edited by Josh Fisher. Additional editing support by Helena Rosen, John Washington, and Zachary Fisher. Our interns are Ben Bernstein, Emily Gutierrez, and Silva Lifton. 
And special thanks to our podcast fairy godmother, Katie Kurek. We can't wait to see you at our next session. Dear Therapist is a production of iHeartRadio. Fish food. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's better h e l p.com. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.